startup for startup. Sharing knowledge, experience and insights from one startup to another. Hi everyone. I'm Danny Lester. Thanks for joining. Feedback is an important tool in a team leads kit. It has the potential to alert team members to mistakes and avoid repeating them. Contributing towards the individual's goals while hitting the team's KPIs and allows for a meaningful relationship to be built between the team members and the team lead, fostered on trust and appreciation. However, it can easily be far different from this utopian image. For some of us, feedback is associated with an unclear, demotivating speech from a manager. That was Joe Hirsch's experience. I found that I got a lot of feedback, but a lot of that feedback wasn't very good. Uh, it was always looking back on a past that I couldn't change instead of out towards a future that I could. Joe is someone worth listening to when it comes to feedback. He's the author of Feedback Fix, a global speaker and a TEDx presenter, focusing on optimizing feedback. You can find his articles on this topic in the Harvard Business Review, Forbes, Inc., and more. And I started to think about how I might want to receive that feedback differently. And as I began to look through both research and my own experiences, I realized that we need to change the tone and the trajectory of these conversations. And I started to unpack both the science and the strategies of how to have more effective, more courageous, and even more collaborative conversations about work. Besides writing, Joe also works as a consultant for companies and organizations that want to improve their feedback methodology. I've worked with members of the Fortune 100, NGOs, and teams at virtually every stage of their development from startups to fully formed organizations across industries. And the issue is always the same. The issue is the feedback that we have in our culture is either too cautious or too caustic. Either people aren't speaking their minds or they're killing each other with it and it becomes a soul-crushing experience for both the giver and the receiver. For Joseph Durius, a customer success team lead, the journey of becoming a manager was deeply combined with internalizing what feedback is really about and mastering this tool. It took him a while. He was a manager for four years, but then quit and became an individual contributor for quite a few years until he felt ready to be a manager again. By the way, if you want to hear more about individual contributors and how to allow this kind of path in your organization, listen to our third episode. Anyway, where were we? Ah, Joseph. The feedback topic is really tricky because to a certain extent, it always speaks to like the person as a person, right? Um, the feedback that you give them can be about their performance, but sometimes, you know, even in a one-on-one -on -one setting, someone can take feedback personally. I think that's, that's one side of what makes uh, feedback difficult. I think the other side of it too is thinking about how feedback can be effective. So making sure that uh, for me as a manager, that I'm delivering feedback that someone can actually take action on. So I'm kind of constantly juggling, you know, how is this person going to take it? But also how is this person going to be able to take action on it? If the team member takes the feedback personally, it can easily deteriorate the whole talk. When a person gets the sense that you're criticizing their personality, it raises their defensiveness. 
Graham Rowe, who leads a 10-person team as a sales manager at Monday.com, thinks that the struggle with feedback comes from a very basic human instinct. By and large, I think people find feedback challenging because they, they want to be liked or they do not want to be disliked. But I'm not here to convince you how hard feedback is. There are quite a few things we can do in order to avoid it from becoming a soul-crushing experience, as Joe called it. First, before we even start thinking about the actual talk we'll have with a certain team member, we need to take a macro look at our team and shape the environment to support constructive feedback. I personally, as a tactic, try to make sure that my team members get feedback from me in every uh, session that we have together and that it's always an open dialogue. I think the other side of of that too is that um, if you've got a culture on your team of kind of giving and receiving feedback, I think the receiving feedback part as a manager actually makes it easier for your direct reports to also receive feedback from you. Joseph's not the only one who's taking this approach. That capturing feedback is an ongoing process in which the manager also receives feedback, not only gives it. I think that if the the managers will just live when something's happening, just like give constructive feedback, um, a specific one, and just show that it's okay, it's not, and we can do it naturally while we're working and while we're in our day-to-day. Um, so I think that's maybe the first way to do it. This is Noah Barak Neyman, an HRBP at Monday.com. HRBP, in case you don't know the term, is a human resources expert who's attached to every business unit in an organization. They're this business unit's contact for any HR issue, feedback included. Noah's been part of this world since 2017. I think that um, maybe putting aside things that are more sensitive and there maybe it's better to take a moment to kind of reflect, really think how to communicate the feedback. But if I'm putting this aside and we're talking about, you know, professional specific things, I completely agree, okay, because... One, it it really makes it less of a big deal, okay? It's much more natural, like, okay, it's happening and I'm giving the feedback openly and we're continuing our work, okay? Instead of, like, coming in a while after, like, saying, uh, remember that? Uh, okay, so there's really something natural about it and, and that's making it not such a big deal. Um, and also, from experience, like, we tend to forget <laughs> the examples, the specific examples. And like when we just say it live, it's like um, we can really give the, the full feedback and move on. Joe claims that research proves that our memory is simply better suited to getting immediate feedback rather than feedback that comes weeks later. So memory researchers talk about something called a forgetting curve. It's kind of like a sharp L that as soon as we learn something, we immediately begin to forget the information that hits our dashboards. And researchers have put that memory loss as high as 50% within the first 24 hours, which is astonishing, right? You think about, you learn something, and then the next day you wake up, you're like, how do I log into that system again? Or who did we say we were going to hit up in our sales pipeline next? Like you can't recall. And that's because your mind is working against you. The information is slipping out as soon as it comes in. And that memory loss steadies and slows over the course of the next several days. But by the time a week goes by, almost 90% of the information that we've learned is gone. But immediate feedback is not the only thing that makes feedback an integral part of the team's culture and environment, as Graham says. This is a bit of a buzzword, but I I really think about 
psychological safety. Uh, I want people to feel good about work generally. Uh, I want them to to feel like it's an adventure. I want myself to feel like it's an adventure. Like I'm trying to, I have little quests at work that I'm doing. I'm trying to pick up skills. Uh, I'm trying to learn things. So the environment that I try to create generally with my team, it's a positive and constructive environment. So if it is that I am relaying some information that has to do with improvement on some type of behavior, it's it, the first assumption is not that I am trying to be mean or rude because that's not the context of the team environment. Making the feedback an integral part of the team's everyday life definitely makes it easier to approach difficult tasks further down the road. It creates the feeling of, hey, that's not a big deal. Just another day in the office. Joseph didn't create this atmosphere at the beginning of his career. In his first managerial role, his mindset was completely different, and the atmosphere in the team matched it. His feedback was focused on a very specific area, and it created a lot of frustration that later led him to quit management for several years. Flashback. I can remember a very specific example that I'm kind of embarrassed to share, but uh, I was managing a remote team uh, and, you know, one of my direct reports was in a completely other country and we've never met in person. And I remember him, it was of, of our eight hour workday, he would probably log in for six hours and maybe produce like four hours worth of work. And I remember getting on that feedback call with him and, you know, I gave him the feedback around like why his performance was low and uh, I wasn't actively listening to, you know, how he felt motivated or how he felt disconnected to the U.S. team. And it turned into a screaming match. And I remember yelling at this person on the phone. And uh, all the while I was in a conference room, I could see that there were guests, you know, in their office coming in and looking at this young person, why they're like yelling at a team member. It was such a terrible moment for me as a manager, but uh, it was actually it was super eye-opening because I I came away from that feeling really badly about myself, but also not getting the results that I wanted from this employee. And it took me a really long time to even realize like what I had done wrong in, in that scenario. It actually probably took me like six, seven years to realize what I did wrong. Joseph learned a lot from this experience. Today, for example, if I'm giving feedback to a team member about a call that they ask me to listen to, then the structure for that conversation is they will give me the call in um, a meeting. I'll listen to it for a week. I will provide my feedback to them written out or so they can look at it at a, at a bird's eye view and see at a high level, like the direction that the feedback is in. And then we actually meet. And then I provide the feedback and we discuss the feedback um, both from how they perceive their own performance, um, as well as, you know, how I assess their performance. And then we we create an open discussion about how to improve and, and go forward. And so the structure that I'm talking about isn't necessarily in the way that I've delivered feedback, but it's structure in the way that here's a topic that we are choosing to give feedback on. There's a, a time frame in which I'm assessing. They have the ability to review the feedback that I'm about to give. And then the feedback is an open dialogue.
Joseph's approach guarantees feedback on a regular basis. Not only that, it also allows developing a conversation about the feedback's core. After both sides have thought and analyzed the thing you decided to focus on in this specific feedback talk. This open dialogue is essential to the approach Joe Hirsch offers. It really shifts the balance of power to partnership so that managers are not telling and selling, but they're listening and learning. They trade their power for the partnership. They focus on agency rather than just accountability. In a way, it breaks the fundamentals some of us might rely on. We're the managers, aka the ones in power, and on the other side sits the employee, the one who receives instruction but doesn't give it. This feedback approach Joseph and Joe talk about suggests that instead of power, a to-do list, and statements, we should offer an attentive ear. When the team leads knock on Noah's door for advice, well, she works in an open space, so there's no actual door. But when they knock metaphorically on Noah's door for advice regarding feedback they want to give, Noah will first try to understand the context and what the constructive feedback is about. When I really understand what's maybe the challenge for that manager, then I can direct them better to how do I say that, okay? It also depends on the specific employee that they're going to talk with, okay? How is their performance in general, for example? They should come with a different approach if it's someone that is already like uh, having improvement plans and is struggling for a long time or, or if it's like someone that's like super on it and it's, it's something specific that just needs to be improved. So I think there are a lot of things to understand from the context in order to really direct the manager. But I, I think that maybe if there's something general that I can um, kind of recommend is to really be authentic, okay? Be really open and explaining like the the pain that it's representing, like how they do it now maybe, okay? What is it impacting and how will it impact if they improve it? And just like explaining the rationale of like wh why why they think it needs to change. And of course, like hearing from the from their employees, how do they perceive it? I would a lot of times offer them like even start by asking them before you even give the feedback. I mean, try to understand how they perceive the situation and then take it from there. When deciding the best approach to take for the conversation, context is a large element. There are different variables in this equation besides performance, which is obviously an important factor. We can also take into consideration the employee's character. For example, how easy is it for them to share, to speak their mind? We can also think about their social position in the team. Are they one of our dominant team players or more of a quiet person who throws a smart insight into the air once in a while. These are two different characters that will react differently during feedback, and we need to keep that in mind. And yet, there are certain questions we should ask ourselves no matter who we're about to face for feedback. Graham, the sales manager, told me which questions he often asks himself before giving feedback. I might have a very difficult and like hard piece of feedback for somebody. What I'm going to think about is, okay, can I convey the consequences of this thing to them over the long term? Can I show how it's impacting their personal goals? And can I show how this thing is detracting from the other positive things that they're doing? So 
they kind of start to take steps to to fix it because they're kind of associating and taking ownership of the problem. But before rushing into these big and sometimes scary questions, Joe suggests starting positively. We try to activate that sense of agency by asking about a moment when this person felt completely energized and flowing with the state of work. You know, what was it that you did recently? Maybe it was a time uh, working on this project, or maybe during this last quarter, when you felt like you were at your best. So tell me about that time. And when you start by asking about strengths, it immediately puts people in a mindset of power and of opportunity. Hey, he's not just talking about the things that I've done badly. He's focusing on the things that I've done well and how I can amplify those strengths. So what have you found to be most useful when you work on projects? Like, where do you make your biggest contributions? And 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 to even focus not so much on what you have done individually, but how collectively we've grown together. You know, who have you helped recently? That's a huge activator for people to know that they're encouraging people to do good work and that they're helping them in that process. So tell me about that moment of strength. So start at the summit. This start is not just to keep the employee's spirits high. Asking the team member this kind of question allows the team lead to identify what will help the team member to succeed and help them to repeat those successes by giving them the same conditions. I start to uncover more information and gather more insights, which I as the manager can then use in terms of deploying teams and projects. But even if we are successful, doing something once is a moment doing it again and again, that's a habit. And that brings us to the final step of this journey, which is the climb. How do we continue to scale success? And not just to focus specifically on what has happened, but what can continue to happen next? You know, what are the things that I can do as the manager to support your trek? How can I set the conditions for your success? How will we know if we are headed in the right direction? There's a level of coaching in it. It's part of the the skills that managers develop. And I think that um, a lot of times asking the right questions can be enough, okay? And they, and they will really produce those answers from themselves. And I think that also when we generate the feedback or like by, by reflecting on ourselves, it's true learning. It's in our body. Like it came from us. We were connected to it. We're connected to the meaning of it um, and to the impact of it. It's great. And as the manager, all I've done here is simply set the conditions for conversation that yields more insights and leads to greater impact. So how do we navigate these often hard conversations so that we not only start them positively, but also finish them with a sense of optimism? How do we leave the conversation with the exciting feeling that things are going to change for the better? Joe has a formula. He calls it RAP, W-R-A-P. It stands for what and where, reason, affect, and prompt. You don't get it? Me neither. That's fine. We'll make it clear. Let's start with the W. What and where. So how does it work in practice? So you start by talking about what's happening and where it's happening. You were on the call and you heard me sort of talking too much at that client call, you might say, Joe, look, um, let's set some time. Let's talk about what happened with that client call. So the next day you and I are in the conversation. You're like, uh, look, I just want to talk to you about that client call uh, that you had 
with Company X, and I wanted to talk about what I sensed was a disconnect in how you were managing the conversation and how the client was receiving the information. So you've talked about what and where. A lot of times, defensiveness comes when people feel maybe intimidated or when they feel like there's some kind of attack on them. Sometimes it's not even conscious, okay? But uh, I think that the way to really engage the person that you're giving feedback to is to talk about concrete examples, specific examples, and kind of really uh, explain what is the impact. Still in the W phase of rap, Joseph tries to be as focused and accurate as possible when talking about certain behaviors. Try to come with specifics and examples so that the employee can clearly understand what part of their performance you're trying to improve. And then I think the second thing is it actually really does help um, when you start the conversation by asking the employee about their own performance um, because it helps you gauge the employee's self-awareness in which parts of the conversation you as a manager need to focus more on to make sure that they actually understood it. Sometimes, you know, looking at it from a, let's call it like a removed or a third person point of view as a manager, you might see things that the employee does not necessarily see. So when you start the conversation with them reflecting on their own performance, it gives you insight into how they perceive that they have done and then lets you provide your feedback in a more effective way because it's relative to how they're perceiving themselves. The preparation for this what and where stage is crucial as we don't want to talk hypothetically. We should come ready with concrete examples that make a clear case. I think the challenge that managers have is um, at some point you're going to have to draw the line of I'm helping you improve your performance and then we're actually going to have to take action on you you know, improving your performance or your performance has not improved enough. And it gets to the point where, you know, the company kind of needs to prepare both itself and the employee that maybe we're going to put you on a performance improvement plan or something like that, right? So the way that I typically will prepare myself for those types of uh, conversations is to make sure that we've got really specific uh, examples in the employee's performance that we can point to um, to make sure that that discussion is actionable. Right, so you behaved in this way or your performance resulted in this. So we want to course correct that in, or, in order to have, or in order to achieve a different result. So we've got the what and where, which stands for the W in our rap. Next is the R, reason. You say, look, uh, Joe, I think this is important to bring up because I know how important it is for you to represent our company in the best way possible and to live by our company values and to serve the client the way we like to do. You do that a lot. This was a time when I felt like it didn't happen and I wanted to just bring it to your attention. So far, rap is quite standard. Joe says the last two letters is where it gets interesting. A for affect and P for prompt. You know, a lot of times feedback becomes a blame game and we operate with judgment. We start telling and selling as we've talked about. And that's a problem because people then feel like they're being judged. And when people are judged, they want to fight back, right? Because people don't want to take that, that criticism sitting down. But when we shift the conversation from judgment to affect, 
from you didn't do this to here was the result. Here's how I felt as a result of this, or here's what happened with our teammates, right? Um, you were in a in a in a in a pipe pipeline meeting. We were talking about our sales pipeline, and you started really taking over and telling everyone why this was the direction we ought to take, why these prospects were the ones to follow. And you kind of shut the whole thing down when Jim was trying to share his point of view or when Sarah was trying to offer a counter perspective, you kept pushing ahead. And so I felt bad for them when that happened because I know that that was something that might have helped us all get a bigger picture of what's happening here in our prospects, but that didn't because of what happened. And I, I felt bad for them. The outcome was that a certain goal was not achieved. In the end, that employee's purpose is that this goal will be achieved and, and he needs to make sure that he's set up for success, okay, and that it's it's happening. Um, so I will focus the conversation on that and, and asking questions like, okay, I, I totally get it. Like this was a setting that was hard to really achieve the goal. What can we do next time? What can you do next time? Like how do you think this can be uh, maybe other ways to support uh, achieving the goal for next time? So again, we're shifting away from judgment and finger pointing to the impact that it's caused and the affect that it has had. And so that's a much better place to be because people can argue with what we say, but they're not going to challenge how we feel. And when you have those conditions, you know, like you've, you've talked about the what and the where and the reason and the affect, that's what leads you to the prompt. That's when you can now move to the future that people can change and control. And you say, all right, Joe, so like, what do you think we should do next? You know, what's going to happen to those conversations or what's going to happen when you're on the phone with the client? Like, where do you want to go now? This methodology is super helpful thanks to its structure that allows us to present our feedback in a way that is most easily accepted. But whilst Joe's rap model definitely helps us to explain ourselves honestly, with a good combination of rationale and empathy, we can't expect to have no objections. A very classic objection might be something like, I didn't get from you what I needed in order to succeed. But this objection shouldn't cancel out your feedback. Don't dismiss it. That's the worst thing you can do, actually. But there's quite a huge difference between dismissing it, which is a big no-no, and to putting the spotlight right on it. In the end... If it is that employee's ownership, okay, and it's it's their responsibility to make it happen. So first of all, I, of course, take responsibility over everything that I, I did not provide. And I would also uh, invite the employee to give me that feedback if I was a part of that. And, and I will hear it and I will take it into consideration and we'll have a conversation around that. And I will also emphasize that we're also, you know, we're not looking for uh, who's to blame, okay, in the end. We know what's the outcome. And the discussion should focus on the outcome Noah's talking about. There was a certain outcome, and we need to figure out what led to this outcome so we can learn and act differently. Before Graham led the account management team, he received this kind of constructive feedback. It was an example for him of how feedback, though it didn't involve anything he didn't know already, can be meaningful. It happened on the very last day of 2020's third queue. I have like a very large deal that is set to, to come in. It's the last day of the month. It is a Friday, 4 p.m. And 
like we're waiting on somebody from France to basically sign something. I'm kind of glib about it, like yeah, it's it's gonna happen or whatever. But my my manager at the time points out like, hey, whether or not it happens, this is the the last day of the month and the last hour of the month. What we should have had is kind of a mutual close plan with agreed upon dates, so we'd have a lot more control over this deal. Because what's happening right now is there's a lot of pressure on me and a lot of pressure on you to make sure this comes in so that the entire team uh, does not miss this quarter. And it it was kind of eye-opening to me in that this is something that I knew already, but like subconsciously knew that, hey, you know, like I, I should probably work on that. But the feedback allowed me to modify my behavior going forward. And thankfully that deal came in anyway, but it, it could have been a lot less stressful. In this case, there was no tension between Graham and his manager. We all know that's not always the case. There's no shame in admitting that sometimes we can be really frustrated by team members and angry. Obviously, these feelings might be mutual. Those strong emotions make it way harder to have an effective, balanced feedback talk. I think a big part of dealing with that is in the preparation phase, first of all. When you prepare for a conversation with a certain team member, I would strongly recommend to reflect yourself, first of all. And we, we all reflect before the conversations in order to really map what needs to be ra uh, raised there. Um, but I would also recommend the manager to ask themselves, how do I feel about this conversation? What things may, uh, may come up? in the conversation that will trigger me, that will trigger the, the team member? What sensitivities do I have? Or what complexities do we have in the relationship between me and that employee? And, and kind of be ready because really awareness is a big part of managing to handle it um, live. Joseph, who found himself getting mad at an employee of his years ago, as you've already heard, hasn't found himself in this spot ever since. I would say it actually comes from a lesson I learned from my dad, uh, who's a very, very, very objective uh, man. And I think something that he taught me when I was young, which I guess I didn't apply in this scenario, was uh, no one can really make you mad but yourself, right? And so it, it kind of it taught me to control my emotions and look at things a little bit more objectively. I think the way that this is applied to, to me as a manager is... Um, instead of letting my first reaction go to anger, my first reaction um, goes to trying to understand why we got to where we are or why the outcome is this terrible outcome that we have sitting in front of us now. Because usually if you, if you try to at least empathize with the situation, you'll uncover what the actual problem is, right? So even if the, you know, whatever it is, bad performance that you have to deal with now, trying to kind of backtrack to, to really understand like what environment created the bad performance, what lack of clarity created the, the bad performance. Um, that's an easier thing for you to solve versus like if you get angry and then your progress is that much slower. So I, I, I try to look at it from that lens uh, where I guess anger doesn't really get you anywhere. When I started working on this episode, I was looking for the solutions managers should come up with prior to the feedback they're about to give. 
Once the manager finds these solutions, I thought, the only thing to figure out is how to communicate them. As time passed, I realized I totally missed the point. The people I spoke with said over and over again in various ways that the manager's role is not to provide answers, nor having a prepared speech that'll make it all clear to the team member. It's the opposite, actually. Good constructive feedback is not a monologue, but a dialogue. It's not about answering, but about asking. I can tell you that a lot of managers talk with me before feedback conversations and they are really worried that they don't have the solutions, okay? And it's exactly that. It's, it's asking the right questions and really uh, allowing the space for, like, for a brainstorm and, and for the employee to also really think and produce those answers uh, from themselves. So surrendering power is not the point amplifying influence is. And that's what happens when managers start to act more as partners in this process, as opposed to just power brokers. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to be updated when we release more episodes, hit the follow button. You're also more than welcome to our LinkedIn group, Startup for Startup, where you'll be able to find more content and potential networking. Another place that deserves your attention is our website, startupforstartup.com. This is where we gather all the content we create just for you. Podcast episodes, videos, articles, and more. I want to thank Guy Ben Nun, our writer and senior producer. Our crew also has the wonderful Advishes Gal and Daria Wertheim, who are our content editors. Leo Krengel leads the initiative. Yoav Ayalon is our opera singer, and Gal Rodity is our mix engineer alongside Hilly Boy Mel. I'm Danny Lester. More to come, so stay tuned. <laughs>